for us to look out and to focus on all of the things that put smiles on our faces and joy in our hearts. And it oftentimes it's also easy to flip that coin, isn't it? It's also easy for us sometimes to focus on the distractions that often are thrown our way. It's oftentimes easy to look at all of the things that the devil tries to throw at us to derail us on our Christian walk. In fact, the Apostle Paul issued the same sentiment in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 when he said, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You and I understand that if we are not careful during our Christian walk, we can quickly be snatched away. We can quickly allow our minds to go where they don't need to go, and we can quickly live a life that you and I are not called to live. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 3. And unfortunately, you and I know that that happens far too often. Unfortunately, you and I know far too many people who are Christians, but who have given their lives over to this world. Oftentimes, when an examination of the soul is done, when you take a step back and you look at perhaps other individuals, or maybe you look at your life as to why someone or why you yourself have left the faith, why you have gone away from the Lord's church, oftentimes it is due to what you and I might call, at least for today, a golden calf. You see, for every single person in this world, they have what you and I could call a golden calf. Everyone has a golden calf. In other words, every single person has that one thing. That one thing that seems to nag at them. That one thing that seems to be their pitfall. That one thing that seems to be that temptation that they seem to struggle with so much more than anything else that there is in this world. Something that takes our focus and our attention off of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You and I know passages like Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul told us to set our minds or to set our affections on things above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We know Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And yet, unfortunately, for so many people in our world, we look to those golden calves in our lives, and when we do that, we're not putting our Lord and Savior first, are we? When you and I look at this world, we look at this, the, the distractions, we look at all of the things that maybe we struggle with. When we focus on those, Jesus does not reign in our lives. You see, that top spot in our lives should be reserved for God. It should be reserved for His Son. It should be reserved for His Word, but far too often we fill it with something else. As you and I turn our attention this morning to Exodus chapter 32, I hope your Bibles are open there. Exodus chapter 32, I can't help but simply be appalled when I read about the Israelites. And time and time again, I can't help but think about how foolish the Israelites were as I read about them in the Old Testament. You and I can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 in our minds. We can think all the way back to that promise that God made to Abraham. You remember Genesis chapter 12? God told Abraham to get out of his country, to take his family, to pack up and to leave, and to go to a land that he would show him. But God didn't tell him what land it was. And so Abraham, with all of the faith and trust that he could muster, he gathered everything he had and he blindly left with a full faith and full trust in God. You go to Genesis chapter 21. You remember God promised 
Isaac, that promised son to Abraham. You fast forward to chapter 37, you read about Joseph. How Joseph was thrown into slavery by his brothers. You remember Genesis 41? He finally rises in power to second in command over Egypt. But you fast forward all the way to Exodus chapter 1. You get to Exodus chapter 1 and we remember that there's a new Pharaoh in Egypt. There's a new what we might call sheriff in town. He doesn't know who Joseph is. He doesn't know about what Joseph has done. And so he says that he's going to throw all of Joseph's people, all of the Israelites, into captivity. And in Exodus chapter 3, you remember God appears to Moses. He tells Moses, it's time for you to get to work. And you remember him there beginning of verse 7, the Bible says that I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. He says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. See, there was a promise. A promise to go to that promised land. A promise that was finally about to be fulfilled. That promise that we talked about from Genesis chapter 12. And you fast forward to chapter 7 all the way through chapter 11. You remember God raining down the ten plagues and doing that all the way through Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh time and time again telling him, let my people go. And Pharaoh finally lets his people go. You go to Exodus chapter 14. They miraculously cross the Red Sea. The power of God on full display showing Israel that God was ultimately in control. Exodus 16, God rains down manna from heaven, giving them the food, the nutrients that they needed during their travels to the promised land. You get to Exodus chapter 19. They find themselves before the great Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain. He goes to receive the Ten Commandments. And it's at that point that we find ourselves here in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, the people have grown quite restless. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai for quite some time. In fact, verse 1 of Exodus 32 tells us that Moses has delayed. And so the people don't know what to do. They want something to be done right then and right there. And so they go to Aaron. They say, Aaron, what do we want you to do? We want you to make us a God. We want you to make us something that we can worship. We want you to make us something to which we can bow our knees and look at that thing that you just made and say you brought us out of the land of Egypt, not Almighty God. So what does Aaron do? Aaron says, Israelites, how foolish, right? Israelites, how foolish of you to do this. The God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is going to be with you. The God whose power you have seen time and time and time again, He is going to help you. He was going to carry you through. Just simply be patient and wait on Almighty God. No, Aaron doesn't say that. In fact, Aaron says, just break off your earrings. Break off your jewelry. Bring it to me and I'll melt it down and we will fashion together this golden calf. And I'm not just going to make it, but Aaron says, I'll say this, that this thing that we just made, this is your God. This is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. How foolish, how illogical that is. How do I get rid of my golden calves? How do you and I get rid of these golden calves that seem to plague us day by day and seem to distract us 
from where our focus ultimately should be. Three things that I want to point out this morning. Here's number one. How do I get rid of my golden calves? Number one, I have to remember what God has done for me. In order to get rid of my golden calf, I have to remember what God has done for me. See, when I read about the children of God all the way throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, and we've said this before, we read about the power of God, don't we? We see the supernatural abilities, the care of God, the love of God that He bestowed on His people day in and day out. And how through His power, He was able to help the children of Israel. He was able to promote the children of Israel to be in a position where they would never be if it wasn't for God and for His power. They would have never been able to successfully enter that promised land. They would have never survived the wandering of the wilderness. They never would have been able to cross the Red Sea. They never would have been able to get out of captivity when they were in Egypt. And sure enough, they never would have even had the promise given to them in Genesis chapter 12. And yet time and time again, as often as God helped them, they suffered what you and I might call spiritual amnesia. They suffered from spiritual amnesia. You see, one of the biggest problems that plagued the children of Israel was that they suffered from short-term memory loss. The children of Israel suffered from short-term memory loss. You see, God would work His power. God would supernatural ability and He would show them how if they were faithful to Him in this life, He was going to be their deliverer. That if as they came upon their hurdles, their walls, those struggles, the trials of life, they were going to get through them so long as they were faithful to Almighty God in this life. That they could look to God and know that He was going to be with them. And yet for some reason, we see them failing at this time and time and time again. In fact, when you read throughout the book of Joshua, you and I remember that the book of Joshua is a detailed uh, account of their conquest of the promised land. And how God had promised this land to them. And thus, remember, He was filling, fulfilling that promise all the way back from Genesis chapter 12. And if you look at Joshua chapter 8, and I want you to go there. I'll meet you there in just a moment. If you look at Joshua chapter 8, we read about a very important section of Scripture. But before we get there, I want you to think about something. When you go back to Joshua chapter 7, you have to look at what leads up to Joshua chapter 8. You remember Joshua chapter 7, they come upon this city called Ai. And they decide that it is now their time to go and to destroy, to conquer the city that we call Ai. Now remember, chapter 6, they just taken Jericho. Jericho, that great walled city, they had a great spiritual victory. They get to chapter 7, they go to Ai, and they try to take Ai, and what happens? They fall. They're defeated, and in fact, some 36 men die because they are defeated. So Joshua gets back to camp, and he's thinking, what happened? Where did we go wrong? And so God basically tells him it's twofold. Number one, he tells him this. Number one, you went to war. You went and made a big decision, but you didn't take my counsel. Joshua, you went and made a decision, but you didn't even go to God in the first place. And then he says the second thing. If you had gone to God, then you would have known that there was sin in the camp. You remember Achan. Achan had stolen spoils from Jericho. He had hid them under his tent. And because of that, there was no way they were going to win that war. It didn't matter how many enemies there were. And so Joshua gets back into camp. They figure out the problem. They take care of the problem. And that carries you into Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8 is what chapter 7 should have been. 
Chapter 7 should have never even happened, and yet it did. So Joshua chapter 8 happens. They go to God. They get counsel. They go to Ai. They take Ai, and they're on a great spiritual victory. They're on a great spiritual high. But notice here with me, Joshua chapter 8. This is so important to think about as you look at what's going on here. Notice chapter 8 with me, beginning in verse 30. Go to the end of the chapter. This is after their spiritual victory. They've just taken Ai. And notice what Joshua does here. Verse 30, the Bible says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, the law, excuse me, had commanded the children of Israel as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And then of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests of the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as he who was born among them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the, Lord, bless the people of Israel. Now notice this, verse 34 and 35. And afterward, he read, this is talking about Joshua, He read all of the words of the law, the blessings, the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. What has just taken place? They've just defeated Ai. They've just came off this great spiritual victory. They gather together. They build this altar. They sit down, and what do they do? They have a public reading of the law. They knew exactly what it was that they were supposed to do. They have just read the law. It has just been ingrained into their minds. They know exactly what it is that God wants them to do. Now I bring this up because I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is so important because, again, keep in mind, they have just read the whole law. Not a word was missed. Not a word was skipped They read every single thing. Every single person heard it. This is also entailed in this. This is one of the things that they read. Deuteronomy chapter 7, look at me here, beginning of verse 2. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Why do I say this? They've had the reading of the law. Within that reading of the law was this passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 7 to to not mingle with the other nations, to utterly destroy all of the nations during their conquest of the promised land. You want to talk about having short-term memory loss? All you got to do is go one chapter later. You get to Joshua chapter 9, what happens? In Joshua chapter 9, they come upon this group of people called the Gideonites. The Gideonites have heard of the power of God. They know what God has done. They know that they themselves are going to be destroyed. So what do they do? They say, we've got to figure something out. We don't want to die So let's get together and figure out a plan. So the Gideonites get together and they figure out and they decide, 
we're going to disguise ourselves as a group of people who are not from this area. We're going to have old clothes, ratty clothes, clothes that are ripped. We're going to have old food, moldy food. We're going to look like we've been traveling for a long time. We're going to go to Israel. We're going to say, Israel, we've been traveling a long time. Please make an alliance with us. Make a treaty with us. Do with us what God told you not to do in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So you get into chapter 9, they go to Israel, and they say, Joshua, Israel, make a treaty with us. Make an alliance with us. What had Joshua just done? They had just read the law. Everybody had just read the law. They had just heard not to make a treaty or an alliance with a group of people that were around them, and what do they do? They make a treaty, with the alliance, make a treaty and an alliance with the people around them. You want to talk about having a short-term memory. When you do that, when you act like Joshua, when you act like Israel and you forget about God, you put yourself in a tight situation. You put yourself in a situation where God is not happy. And when Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says his anger was aroused against them. You see, when you and I forget what God has done for us, when we allow our golden calf, whatever it might be, to get in between us and our relationship with God, we do so at our own detriment. In fact, I think about Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning of verse 11, the Bible says, Beware that you do not what? For, <clears throat> excuse me, forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. You see, when you and I suffer from short term memory loss, we take for granted what God has done. You see, when you and I focus on our golden calves, we allow ourselves to forget everything that God has done for you and me in this life. You see, we're so indebted to God, are we not? God and His Son have done so much for us, more than anybody ever will do for you and I. It's a debt that we can't repay, and yet far too often we focus on everything else but Him and what he's done for us. Don't forget what God has done for you. How else do I get rid of a golden calf? Number two, I remain patient while God is working. I remain patient while God is working. You remember in Exodus chapter 32, when I read about the children of Israel here, I read about a group of people who I would describe as impatient. A group of people who feel as if their needs are needing to be met on their timeline and only their timeline. A group of people who are selfish. A group of people who can't seem to see beyond themselves and their own wants and their own wishes. A group of people who can't see beyond what's right there in front of them. You see, Moses had gone to Mount Sinai. He had gone to receive the commands from God, how they were to live their lives, and those commands were going to help them. Those Ten Commandments were going to help them live their lives and make their lives better. But Moses did not come back in the time that they wanted him to. You know, it's funny. The Egyptians had been, or excuse me, the Israelites had been in Egyptian captivity for some 430 years. And yet here they are, unable to wait for just a few days for Moses to come down. You see, too many times, you and I look at what's happening in our lives, and I guess sometimes we get confused, don't we? Sometimes we look around in our lives and, and we wonder why things are not happening when we want them to. 
We look around and we think, why is this not taking place? Why is what I want to happen not going on in my life right now? And yet it's at those times that you and I have to be willing to be still. Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God. You see, waiting on God is one of the hardest things to do in life, isn't it? Waiting on God to open up a door. Waiting on God to present an opportunity before you and I, but putting it in front of us. Waiting on something to happen, what we think should happen in our own time. That's tough. That's hard to do. It's hard to remain patient. But you see, isn't it when you and I least expect it to happen that God places an opportunity in front of you? Isn't it when we have an opportunity to strengthen our faith in Almighty God, we also have an opportunity to improve our patience? You see, when you and I become impatient, foolish decisions begin to happen. When you and I become impatient, when we grow impatient, we tend to act rashly. We tend to act without thinking about what it is that we're doing. You remember the children of Israel, they've just come out of Egypt. They have just seen God's power with the plagues. They saw His power with the Red Sea. They saw His power time and time again with so many things. They knew that God was taking care of them. They knew that God was going to continue taking care of them, and yet it didn't happen in the time that they wanted it to happen. And because of their impatience, they foolishly went to Aaron. Aaron, make us a God. Make us an inanimate object. An object we are literally watching you create and let us worship it. Aaron says, sure. Why not? What's the harm in that? I'll take your gold. I'll take your jewelry. I'll fashion it together. I'll create this golden calf. And the people utter quite possibly one of the most ignorant statements in all the Old Testament. This calf. This God, this thing that we just created, is what brought us out of Egypt. How foolish. All because of their impatience. And I can't help think about Abraham. You remember God promised him a son, Genesis chapter 17. And yet, from Genesis chapter 17 to Genesis chapter 37, it takes some 25 years. Some 25 years in order for that promise to be fulfilled. And Abraham grew impatient, didn't he? What did Abraham do? You remember he went to Sarah and they both colluded together and they said, I'll give you my handmaiden. With my handmaiden, you'll have a son and then maybe he can become the promised son. They tried to run ahead of the plan of God and it did them no good. You see, as you and I wait on God, as you and I wait for things to happen in our lives, we must remain patient. You want to get rid of your golden calf? You want to be able to take that golden calf and push it out of your life? You'd be willing to wait on God. You'd be willing to trust in God even when it seems like He's not answering you. Even when it seems like God has forgotten about you, when nothing seems to be going your way, you put your faith and your trust in Him. You'd be willing to trust Him even when it seems like He's disappeared. Because you and I know Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, where God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's number three. How do I get rid of my golden calf? I refrain from making my own gods. 
How do I get rid of my golden calf? I refrain from making my own God. You see, Israel didn't understand this. And it boggles my mind every single time I read Exodus chapter 32. Every single time I read about the, the, the bad decisions made by Israel. It just boggles my mind because they had direct communication with God. They saw firsthand the supernatural power of God. They knew that God was the one and only God. They knew that God was a jealous God. Exodus 20 and verse 5 and so on and so forth. And yet even through all of that, God promised He was going to be with them. Even with, alongside all of His power and everything He showed them, God says, I'm going to be with you. And it was like as soon as something didn't happen the way that they wanted it to, as soon as something didn't happen in their own timeline, they couldn't bear it. They couldn't wait on God. They couldn't wait on God's timing and to supplement that, they go to their own gods. They created something in their own time and they said, you're going to be and serve as our God. You see, it's so easy for us whenever God is not working in and on our timeline to just simply give up. It's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to assume that God has abandoned us. It's easy to assume that God's not listening. It's easy to assume that God's just not there in our lives. And it can be so easy to place our trust and our faith in everything but Him. See, the children of Israel didn't understand this. And this goes all the way back to being impatient, doesn't it? God wasn't working on their own time. Moses was delaying and coming from the mountain, so they assumed that they just needed to make something happen. And so what did they do? They made their own God. To fill that void, that quote-unquote void that they thought they had in their lives, they took it upon themselves and created something that was so utterly foolish. God had not abandoned them. God had not left them. God had not deserted them. And even through everything that God had done for them, they still lacked their faith and trust in Him. And they turned to their man-made God. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? For a group of people to grow impatient with God, to see that something is not working on their own timeline, and because of that, they decide to take their allegiance off of God and to put it on something else. It sounds so foolish, and yet by goodness, I can't understand why you and I act like the children of Israel so many times. You and I are so quick to assume the worst of God sometimes, aren't we? Despite God's promises to you and me, despite His faithfulness to you and me, far too often and far too quickly we resort to what the world has to offer us. Far too quickly we latch on to those pleasures of this world. You and I often allow our gods to become our jobs to become our activities, to become everything in between. And when we do that, you and I create our golden calf. How do I do this? In order to get rid of my golden calf, I must not even make it in the first place. In order to get rid of that God that might be in my life, I must not even make it in the first place. You see, when you're waiting on God, don't go somewhere else. When you're waiting on God, don't look somewhere else. Don't lose your faith in Him. Don't lose your trust in Him. And don't trust yourself over Him. Jeremiah 10 verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. 
You and I have to quickly understand and quickly realize who it is that is ultimately in control in this life. We must understand that God has all power. God has all authority. And when you and I are able to rely and trust in Him, boy, it makes our lives that much easier. You might be going through a difficult time. You might not know what lies ahead. You may not know what the days look like. But one thing you can count on is the faithfulness of God to you as a faithful child of His. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet that faithful child. Maybe you want to be. You know that you can do that this morning. We can baptize you into water. That water representing the blood of Jesus Christ, washing those sins away. You can go on your way rejoicing. Maybe you're here and perhaps you are a faithful child of God. Maybe you once were a faithful child of God, but maybe right now you're not. Maybe it's time for you to turn your life back to Him. Maybe you want to come forward, repent of those things, put all of that behind you, and know that you're a faithful child now on your way to heaven. If you have a need this morning, won't you come? It's together we stand and as we sing.